The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. morning to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Uh, we'll be in verses 14 and 15 today. Mark chapter 1. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we are in a series, uh, uh, the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, from the chapter 1 all the way up through about chapter 4, leading up to Easter as we go through. And we're doing this in mind with a thought of growing together. That's our theme for this entire year, growing together as a church. How do we do this? And uh, last week we were snowed in or, or iced in or, or whatevered in. Last week, uh, and so thank you for your flexibility with that. We know that uh, we would rather be here on a Sunday morning, but thank you for understanding our need to cancel last week. Uh, we did try uh, last week for the first time, just before we get started, and as you turn, a Facebook Live. Many, many of you do not have Facebook, but we gave a, a simplified version of the sermon I was going to preach last week over Facebook. Many of you saw that online, as awkward as it was. If you've ever had a camera in front of your face, it's weird, okay? Uh, don't do it unless you're ready. My wife said, how are you going to do this? I said, I don't know, I'm just going to blab and talk. And so uh, that's pretty much how it worked out, and she's nodding her head. So uh, life is good. Uh, but what we're going to do today, our, our original plan was to do verses 14 through 20. And I'm going to get the notes for verses 16 through 20 to you later this week over email. Uh, those of you on our TVBC News. And if you're not, please let me know. We'll put you on. Uh, what I'd like to focus on today is verses 14 and 15. Just so you know, uh, we're going hit, to hit this hard and, and really look at it. But uh, if you're visiting with us, you don't have a Bible, please know those blue Bibles right there are, are ones that you can use. Uh, page 834 this morning. But, you know, I don't, as I was thinking about how to open this up, uh, I don't know how many of you feel about these things, but sometimes finding your place in the world, getting your foot in the door, uh, making your footprint in the world is hard to do, isn't it? I think that's very hard to do. Or making yourself known. And what we're going to see today is Jesus breaks his silence. But I wanted to share with you a couple of stories of how some people broke their silence in some ways that are very unique. And if you're a grandparent, I especially had you in mind with this first example, if you're ready for it. So the first thing I want you to hear is a story about Grandma Johnson. That sounds like a good name, doesn't it? Grandma Johnson was distraught when she heard that her teenage grandson was getting his ears pierced. And most grandparents, the eyes went like that when I said it just right now. She was very surprised. So she asked him, Chris, why did you do that? And Chris said, well, Grandma, haven't you ever heard of peer pressure before? PP, peer pressure? Yeah. And his grandmother then scolded him and remarked, you should have been a leader, Chris, instead of a follower. And as only a grandson teenager could say, Grandma, I was. It was my idea. I was the leader. His footprint into the world. Or if you're like most men, you're like the man Carl, who put up a sign on his office door that read, I am the boss. I'm sure none of you have ever done that before. But when he returned from lunch, he found that someone had posted an attachment on a post-it note on that sign. And on that yellow post-it note, someone had scribbled, uh, Carl, while your life, or your wife, while your wife, while you were out to lunch, your wife called and said she wants her sign back. Please bring it home. So some entrances into the world are not always what they should be. But, you know, what is it that makes someone's entrance into the world really memorable? And, and even taking that a little bit deeper, 
Why does someone lead better than other people? Why are some more clear in their direction than other people? Well, how does one create a powerful movement? Uh, I don't know if some of you remember this. Ten years ago, flash mobs were all the rage. You remember what a flash mob is? That's when uh, people all agree to show up at the same place and do something weird. Uh, there's one on YouTube where they all sing Handel's Messiah uh, one Sunday on a Christmas Day or, or Christmas time a few years ago. But what does it take to make a great leader, a great vision, to make your mark in the world? I think there's three things. You have to have a great leader. You have to have a compelling vision, and you have to have a few good men who can be the foundation of that very thing going forward. Well, as we will study today, we don't need an ear pierced or a sign on the door. Jesus makes his appearance into the world with those three factors in mind. The Bible tells us in Acts 5.31 that uh, him hath God exalted with his right hand to be prince and savior, for God to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. Jesus comes in this world not as one who is trying to make an impression necessarily. He is doing exactly what he is called to do as the divine son of God. Jesus is a great leader. He's Jesus Christ. He's the son of God. He has a compelling vision. He will tell us in this passage and some of the verses we won't hit that he's going to make fishers of men out of normal everyday people. And then he has a few good men follow him, Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. But the question is, is how does he really start off his ministry? Does he just bust on the scene and, and, and with his divine powers, almost like a superhero, like Spider-Man, say, hey, you come here, and hey, you come here. Jesus actually comes in a very unique way. He comes preaching a message that is so anti-cultural that even today it is not considered to be PC. So why is it important that we study why Jesus comes in the world as he did and why he breaks his silence? I think it comes down to this with our big idea today. The big idea is simply that Christ didn't beg people to open their hearts or parry to prayer or ask him in. Rather, he came in the world as one who commanded them to repent and to believe the gospel. Friends, that is the purpose of our church today. Our church today is not to be attractionary. Our church today is about going and sharing the message that Christ will share today. And as pastor, my goal each Sunday is to re-evangelize you, if that's the right word, with the gospel for God's glory, because anything else is a waste of time, quite frankly. If the aim of the church is about attracting people for the programs and things that we have, then we have missed the very fact how Jesus tells us he made his entrance into the world. It's only about him. So I'm going to look at four aspects this morning. These are hopefully short points. And if you've been with me by now, you know a short point for me is not always short. It's always one more thing, one more thing. But I hope this will be short today. What I want to do is look at four things about Jesus' message in this world. We're going to look at the tone of Jesus' message. We're going to look at the triumph, the timing, and the terms. Four T's. Uh, uh, Dave Holdsworth, we were just talking about Adrian Rogers last night about alliteration. And I had to smile when I thought about this this morning, brother, because this is all alliterated here. But the purpose of this is to remind us the message that Jesus shared. Are we proclaiming as it, as it should be as a church? Are we proclaiming it as we should as individuals? Friends, that's where we're headed today. So with that in mind, will you join me in standing this morning? We're going to read verses 1 through 20, but we're going to focus on verses 14 to 15 of Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. I'll be reading as I usually do from the English Standard Version, which is the same version you have in the Blue Bibles of the Pew. God's word says this this morning. Verse 14, now John, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel or believe the gospel. 
Verse 16, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, or you will become fishers of men. And immediately, verse 18, they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were mending their nets in the boat. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with their hired servants and followed him. Your entrance into the world came with a lot of screaming, as our son Seth did about a month and a half ago. Your entrance into serving God needs to pattern after what, how Jesus broke his silence. And I pray our church will do these very things that we talk about this morning. And will you pray with me as we go before our Lord today? Father, as we look at the most important words of Christ as he started his ministry, I pray as we look at how this applies to us as families, as individuals, as a church, that we are open to your call. And Father, willing to, if necessary, and it is necessary, to cast off some cultural norms that have replaced what message that Christ came to proclaim. Father, I thank you that here in this church we have men and women who desire to know Christ and make you known. Father, stir our hearts for the very change you desire in us, for your glory. And Father, thank you that Philippians tells us that he who began a good work in us will complete it until the day of redemption. You do not give up on us, Father. What a great, glorious God you are. We pray these all in Jesus' name, for your sake. Amen. And God's people said, amen. Thank you. You know, it is just a reminder to us as we start out here that the purpose of everything we do in this church is to get the Word of God into the people of God so they can share that with other folks. And folks, as we gather here today, we are reminded that what Jesus is going to tell us is that no matter what spiritual gifts you have, no matter what your background is, no matter how gifted you are and whatever it is, the goal of every parent, the goal of every pastor, the goal of every church is to get the Word of God out to the souls of men, women, and children, old, young, and everywhere in between. But what I want you to see first off this morning is the tone of Jesus' message. Look back there at verse uh, 14, if you will. Verse 14, the tone of his message. It says, the Spirit, uh, ooh, actually there. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel. Uh, just a little history lesson for you here. Mark, as we've talked about the last several weeks, is like a sprint. He's like the Usain Bolt, if you know uh, the 100-meter the champion the last four Olympics, three Olympics. Uh, it's, a, it's a speed race through this gospel. And when he says, now after John was arrested, this is really about a year's worth of time that has passed and eclipsed. Uh, you can read about those in the early chapters of Mark and Luke and John. And so he just goes right to the heart of it here. Verses 14 and 15 is a summary statement of Jesus' ministry that he came to do, but there's a specific tone that he has. Your Bible will probably have some word like this. How many have the word proclaiming in your Bible there in verse 14? Proclaiming, how, preaching perhaps, some of you may have that. That's a common phrase, translation. The, the, the point of it is, is when Jesus came onto the scene, when he burst into the world with his public ministry, his first words had a definite tone, an authoritative tone declaration of truth. The Greek word here means lifting up a voice, a heralding. Uh, if you remember back in the Middle Ages, they didn't have Facebook or texting or, or, or Instagram or whatever other things you have these days. They had town heralds. And you know town heralds were those guys who could like sing the news to you. They'd come in and say, hear ye, hear ye. Well, imagine this is what Jesus is doing. This isn't Monty Python or anything like that, but this is him coming to them and saying, here is the message. And this message he's proclaiming, this tone he's bringing, requires a specific verdict in the heart of the listeners. 
This is also in the present tense. This is not something he did one time, something he did all the time. He was always preaching the word of God. I want to take a side note here and, and really hit this point. I talked to some other friends about this, and I think this is in line with the scripture here. It's not the main point of the passage, but it is here in the passage. Friends, I want you to know here that what Jesus is proclaiming is a male authoritative declaration of the word of God. What I mean by that is in today's world, when you listen to the average church or service, it sounds, and ladies, let me qualify this, this means no ill will, but it sounds like a gathering of ladies talking all the time. That's not a knock to ladies. What I mean by this is God had only one son and he sent him as a man. God chose 12 servants to follow him. We've read about a part of those in the verses preceding. But God chose men to be prophets and he's appointed men in positions of leadership. But in today's church, what often happens is the tone of the message is lost. And friends, we need a new tone in our ministry today. Loving but bold. Because we have become, if you will, so syrupy with our gospel. We become so sentimentalized with our gospel. We become so shallow with our gospel. We become so superficial and goosebumps reign over truth in most churches today. I don't mean that to knock any of our sister churches. I mean that to say that the tone of Jesus' ministry was that of public proclamation and the preaching of the word that he would call people to account. And that's where the first faith lesson comes in. Some think they don't need to sing, they just need to hear the preaching in today's church. Some think they don't need the preaching, they just need to sing, but really, friends, we need both. Guys, (laughs) we don't sing well, do we? Amen? That's my manly voice. Uh, ladies, you can, you can chirp in on that as you will. But guys, sometimes we get to the point where we are too manly or too, too staunch to sing. I would encourage you that singing together is one of the greatest expressions of God's worship that we can do as a church together. And sometimes we come just for the singing. A lot of ladies do. That's a very common thing. And guys, we love preaching. We love those hard truths. You know, preach it, brother. Preach it, preach it. And that's great. But friends, one thing we need to remember is the tone of Jesus' ministry was the same wherever he went. It was serious, it was bold, but it was loving and merciful and compassionate all at the same time. I pray we don't be known as a pulpit-pounding ministry here, but I pray that what we bring from the pulpit is an authoritative declaration of God's word that we need in this world today. And that is what we are called to do. Look down at verses 37 and 38. Um, Just as an aside here, this is something that Jesus came. Look down at verse 38 of chapter 1. Jesus continues his preaching, and I won't spend too much time here, but you need to see this. He continues his preaching there in verse 38. It says, and and, and Jesus said to them, let us go to the towns, next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. You know, one of the most healthy signs of a vital church is the ministry presence of its pulpit. We are not a perfect church. We are not. But one of the most vital, healthy signs is that we have strong men in the church willing to stand for the word of God. And you know what? When men open the word of God, there is an authoritative tone that sets the room temperature for the church. I don't know if you agree with that, but I pray you do. And women love it. Guys often come up to me and say, hey, how do I get a Christian girl? Well, preach the word of God, man. Study it. That'll get the, that, that, ladies love that stuff. Why? Because feminism, cultural feminism has taken over our churches. Ladies, it's stolen the identity God has for you. We're going to put out over email, it's been posted on Facebook. Many of you have seen this. We have, we, we've been asked several times, ask the pastor, should women serve as pastor or elders? The answer is no, biblically. They should not. First Timothy 2, and you say, Darren, there's an explanation to that. We'll send it out over email this afternoon. But ladies, that doesn't mean you're second-class citizens. 
That means that God has given you a specific role to fulfill in a way that only you can fulfill it, just as God has given men a specific role to fulfill, only they could fulfill it. Does that mean women shouldn't teach? Not at all. Does that mean women shouldn't sing or lead? Not at all. But you have to know that when men of God stand up with the word of God, it sets the tone for everything else that God does in that church, that family, in that culture, in that area. Ladies, I'm not trying to demean. This is not at all meant to do that. In fact, if, if, if anything, Christ is the most welcoming person of women everywhere. Who are the first people at the tomb? Women. Who are the people who were written to most often in the church letters? It was women. Folks, Christianity stole something. When, when no one else was allowed to sit, I mean, the women had their own court and section in the Jewish synagogue. The guy said, we're over here, you're over there. Christianity brought it all together. Don't believe that every cultural norm, ladies, that the, the culture has for you is exactly what God wants for you. You need to hear that. And men, don't think that everything that the culture says about you is absolutely true as well. Friends, we need to be remembered that if men aren't going to lead, then ladies will step up and say, I have to. Men, we need to be strong in this aspect. Be strong. That's not going to get you on CNN 2020 or whatever, ABC 2020, whichever that is. But it is something that as men, we need to do that. I was so encouraged last night. Thank you for those who came. I know many were traveling and such, but we had 20 plus men last night at the men's dinner that happens every couple months. Thank you so much. And Matt, wherever he went, Matt is helping our youth come to these things. Ladies, I pray that you pray for our men that we lead boldly, not pig-headedly, not domineeringly, but boldly and lovingly. Because ladies, you will fall in and follow what God has for you as you do that very thing. That is the first thing that Jesus tells us. He sets the tone. It is about proclaiming the message. But I want you to see, secondly, that he gives us triumph of the message. Look back at verse 14. What was Jesus proclaiming? Was he just giving some uh, uh, lecture about how to win friends and influence people? Zig Ziglar, I think that was, or whoever. No, he was proclaiming, verse 14, the gospel of God. That's very key, the gospel of God. This is the triumph. He sets the tone. Look, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to preach. I'm going to teach. I'm going to lead you in everything by the word of God. But secondly, I'm going to triumph. And that is what it means. The word gospel, as you know, means good news. It means a joyful announcement. It's a message of salvation and forgiveness of sins. What a great message it is. Friends, there's no greater message. If you're here today and you know Christ, you have the greatest hope the world can ever have. But notice that it's an exclusive message. I, your Bible should not say anything. Mine says the gospel of God. Uh, if it says a gospel of God, that's probably a very, very bad translation. The Bible is very clear on this. The gospel is exclusive. Jesus is not a way, a truth, and a life. He is what, friends? He is the way, the truth, and the life. This is not a many gospels, but this is one gospel, a saving message under heaven. But notice the source of what it says. This is from God. The gospel is from God. Its substance is from God. He has ownership of it. This is why we never change the message. This is why if anyone comes to you, as Paul said in Galatians 1, even if an angel of light comes to you and says there's another gospel, blasphemy it is. Friends, we have one gospel, and that gospel is the gospel that saves. That's why, with respect, and I mention them often, but that is why, with respect, we do not believe that Joseph Smith, the Mormon religion, is true. The angel Moroni did not visit Joseph Smith and give him 2,000-pound golden tablets that he carried from Palmyra, New York, back to his home with reform hieroglyphs. That did not happen, if I can tell you that. God, who has activated all that needs to take place in the gospel, he's the alpha, he's the omega, and this is his gospel not to be tampered with at all. 
Now, you can share the gospel in different contexts. You can share the gospel in creative ways. But here's the thing. The gospel never changes. It never changes. And this is what Jesus taught us. Megan will put it up there for you. Jesus taught us exclusive truth claims and inclusive love aims, if I can use that phrase. As evangelicals, we need to model the same. I'm going to fix my mic here just one second. It was actually good for the first time in a long time, and I get excited up here, and it falls off the ear, so it happens that way. But we do need to teach exclusive truth claims. Friends, we need to be very, very clear in our culture that Christ is the only way to heaven. We need to be very, very clear there is no other way to heaven except Jesus. There, we need to be very, very clear that the Word of God is what we need to live out this life. But we also need to do that undergirded with love. Sometimes, and I've shared this in our Sunday school class, sometimes we get so attacking of the issues that we forget there are people involved in the process, don't we? How often have I been evangelizing on the streets, and it has just been like an old West show. Clint Eastwood would have nothing on me back in those evangelism days in my younger years. I would be like, oh, gospel, gospel, gospel. It's like gospel gun out, going out everywhere. Put the clicks right in your belt, you know, and uh, have a good day, partner, you know, something like that. Yeah, but there's a real person there, Darren. There is a message you need to be bold with. There is a message you need to share, but there is also a real living person right in front of you. doesn't mean you soften the message, but it means you consider that as you share. But this is what Christ did. He triumphed by proclaiming the gospel of God. Friends, the only way to be accepted by him is by his gospel. That is it. Aren't you grateful for that? Aren't you grateful you don't have to do what most people do where Jesus loves me today. Oh, no, he doesn't. He, he loves me not. You know, get your flower out, right? He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. Friends, if you are loved in Christ, you've been loved in Christ from before the foundation of the world. You are chosen in him sovereignly, predestinedly. However you want to parse that, and Nelson and I have laughed about that in recent days as we've talked about theology and all sorts of things, but the only way to be received by God is his gospel. That's why we want to be gospel-centered as a church here. That's why we want our families to be gospel-centered because there's no other truth. Dr. Phil ain't got nothing on the gospel, friends. Oprah, is Oprah still around? Oprah has nothing on the gospel. I don't know who's out there today. Uh, I don't want, we don't have a TV, so you have to enlighten me sometime, but they got nothing on the gospel. The gospel is all you need for life and godliness, and this is why the tone was set and the triumph was set to bring that message. Third thing I want you to see about Jesus' ministry as he starts out is the timing of it, the timing of it. Look back at verse 15. It says, and he proclaimed the gospel of God and saying that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. You know, people often ask that question, you know, Pastor, when will Jesus return? And I am never going to set a date. Uh, that's, that's not worked out well for those who have. Uh, they usually go in hiding or they become recluses or hermits somewhere out in, in Siberia or something like that. But as they preach this message, as Jesus brings this message, he's bringing a message that is urgent. He's bringing a message that is filled with accountability to God. As they heard Jesus preach, these listeners were at a crossroads of what was happening in the world. The, the word time here is not chronological. Many of you are checking your time. We're 22 minutes in, just so if you're keeping track. But what he was saying is that the time is not chronological necessarily, one minute to the next, but this word time is fulfilled, is literally translated. It's a favorable, favorable season within time, regardless of the day. In other words, the time that Jesus says is now fulfilled is heavy with eternal impact. It's a pivotal moment in eternity. As Jesus preached the gospel, the time that he was preaching says, now is the time. 
Friends, many of you here today are not Christians. Many of you have come to church, and we're so grateful you're here, by the way, but many of you have fought that question. Well, I will live for Jesus when I get older. I will live for Jesus when all my ducks are in a row. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm like that carnival game, and those ducks fall over more than they stand up. So um, you figure that one out. But if you are here today and you do not know Christ, I just want to encourage you. If I can't encourage you more than anything else, this is the time. You know, uh, as, as I was talking to other pastors over Facebook and text last week about are you going to cancel, what's your church going to do, how's the, how's the roads out there, uh, one, there's always that one in the crowd uh, that says, well, Darren, don't you know that, that Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, probably one of the greatest preachers ever happened, he was saved when his church closed and he went to that other church. If you close, you might not be able to preach to a Spurgeon, but I can't even make it out of my driveway, amen? That's how it goes. But the time is here. You may have missed last week because of snow or ice or whatever we had, but if you're here today and you don't know the gospel, friend, it's that Jesus so loved the world that he gave his only son for you. Why? So you can add him to your life? No, because you have had nothing but bad against him. You have rebelled against him. Jesus said he doesn't need to judge the world. The verdict is, is that we've already messed it up so bad. But by faith and trust in Christ alone, you can be saved from your sin. And that's what Jesus came to proclaim. The time had been fulfilled. What time had been fulfilled? The Old Testament time. The Old Testament scripture. It had been to prepare the world for this moment when the Savior himself would come. If you want to flip over, if you have your Bible, flip over to Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2 with me very quickly. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2. Nelson, you shared this on Wednesday night with the youth. I appreciate that. Because this is exactly the verse. We, were, we had the same thing in mind, brother. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2. And I want to read this to you because it's so important. The time has been fulfilled. There is now, the time has come. Hebrews chapter 1, and I'll start actually in verse 1. It says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But, verse 2, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he, that's Christ, upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as superior to the angels as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. Why is this God's timing so important, friends? Because Christ has spoken. We do not need an extra biblical word to give us hope anymore. We don't need prophets anymore. We don't need angels speaking to us. We have what we have right here fulfilled in Christ, and this is sufficient, and this is enough for us. And what an amazing thing that is, because he says the kingdom of God is at hand. Friends, and that's the first, that's the application point I want to bring here, and this is an aside. But if we force our know-how of scheduling and timing on Jesus, we will fight to feel genuinely loved by him as he truly loves us. Many of you have forgotten that time and that day when God saved you, and, and it seems like as you pray and you tarry in prayer and you wait for God's answer that he's never going to answer, he's never going to come. And he's teaching you patience, among other things. But don't forget that your schedule is not his schedule. How many people wanted the Messiah to come at a different time, but God brought him at the exact time 2,000 years ago that he had for the exact amount of time? Friends, are you trusting God's timing in your life? Is God's time enough for you? Do you trust his plan for you, or are you trying to force it in some other way? God didn't have to force his plan. It was the perfect time as it came. 
And Jesus speaks, and he's calling them to repentance. And he's calling them to know the truth of God's word that is there. The truth of God's word. And I want to end with that. I'll skip some of the notes for sake of time. But one thing I do want to share with you is that if you are a Christian, friend, be grateful. And remember, you did not save yourself. You did not save yourself. The time that God saved you, he saved you despite you. And that's good news, friends. Because if he saved you because of you, then boy, that's a whole different standard. I would love to be as cool as you all are. I really would. Love to be as genuine and authentic as you all are, but sometimes I struggle with you those things as you do too. It wasn't based on me. It was based on him and the timing and the timing and the timing. Lastly, what I want to show you about Jesus' ministry. We've looked at the tone. We've looked at the triumph. We've looked at the timing, but I want you to see the terms that he brings to the table. He comes proclaiming a message that the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, everything's been fulfilled, but look at the end of verse 15, and this is the crux of the whole sermon. But he says, repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent means turn away from an existing trust. Jesus is saying you can't trust in dead religion. You can't trust in sinful practice. You can't trust in your own self-centeredness. You can't trust in your own sincerity. You must turn away from whatever has been the object of your life and trust in him and him alone. Nothing more, nothing less. And that's why, as Megan puts this up here, the gospel doesn't bid us to receive Jesus as an extra to our life. It calls us to receive him as our life. So many people, so many people have come to a point uh, if you were to go up, if we were to go door to door, which you're welcome every Thursday at 2 o'clock, we're uh, currently walking through the, uh, I forget the neighborhood name, 48th Street, Drury, and down south of 48th and east of Brighton. We're in that area right now. If you live there, you might get a door hanger and you don't know it, so just uh, be happy about it. But friends, one thing that you need to know is that Christ is not just something you add to your life to make your life more complete. Jesus is your life or he's not your life at all. Many people of every generation have been told that if you walk down an aisle, you pray a superficial prayer, and you beg Jesus to come into your life, he will save you. Friends, you are no more saved by that prayer than you can save yourself outside of Jesus Christ. You are saved by repenting and believing in the gospel. Look, that's why we do not make a habit of leading people in prayers. We make a habit of saying, look, you want to know Christ? Repent and believe in what he did on that cross. You say, how do I do that? Call out to God. He will answer you. Call out to him. I know that goes against everything we have been taught, but friends, Jesus did not say, hey, who would like to invite me into their life? Please? Well, I see that hand over there. Do you, do you close your eyes? We'll wait. The buses will wait for you. Friends, be careful of our theology meets evangelism. Evangelism says repent, turn around, and believe the gospel. I can remember uh, growing up going to a judgment house. You remember those, uh, some of you who grew up with those judgment houses, October things? They would often have a, um, uh, a car wreck or something dramatic, and you'd walk through and see a person die in a car wreck, and they'd take you to heaven and hell and all these things. The motivation is not wrong, but I can remember as a young teenager being led after this, we went to heaven and hell in this scene, and I can remember being ushered back to a room, and, and they told me, if you want to know Jesus right now, you have to pray this prayer. Okay, who's going to say no to that? 
And I remember the pressure that was put on me, and I parroted that prayer, and the man said, by praying that prayer, you are saved. Friends, that is no better than someone from another religion saying, if you take this right, as a, if you get baptized as an infant, if you walk through life after life in Hinduism, friends, we have so missed the point of this. You are to repent and believe the gospel. That is the truth of the word. Does this invalidate Billy Graham's ministry or many others with him? No, I don't believe it does. But we have to be very careful how we share the gospel. Do you realize that as a pastor, when I tell someone you're saved and going to heaven, do you realize what that does for them if they're not a Christian? That puts blinders over their eyes, doesn't it? Well, the pastor said I'm going to heaven, so that doesn't that mean I can do whatever I want? Do you see how one tweak of theology can change the landscape of a person's life forever? What do you do with a person who says, I prayed to receive Jesus 50 years ago, but they lived like hell, a hellion, for the last 50 years? Is that person saved? I am not the salvation police, but you will know them by their fruits. I stand down here on your level, so to speak, on, on, off the platform, because I know this speaks into life. I was that person. I was seven years old at a vacation Bible school. I've shared this before. Everyone else went forward. My mom is a staff member preschool director at First Baptist Plattsburgh. It still is. And I was the odd duck out in the row in 1991, if you can go back that far. Yes, I was alive in 1991. For some of you, that's, that's a shock, I know. But I remember them saying, if you want to receive Jesus, come down. And all my friends went, I'm literally the last one on the row. What do you do? Do you just sit there? No, you go up with them. It's peer pressure, right? At seven, eight years old. If you pray this prayer, you will be saved. Friends, I prayed that prayer to please the person and the friends around me, and I lived crazy. I was in a lot of terrible stuff, even as a young teenager. And it wasn't until someone looked at me and said, Darren, your life is here. The Bible's over here. How do you bring those two things together? And finally, finally, by God's grace, he said, repent and believe the gospel. And by God's spirit, he changed my life, and I've never looked back since. You are not saved by praying a prayer, folks. You are saved by the Holy Spirit drawing you to repent, to turn from your sin and believe the gospel. I hope you see that. I don't mean, I'm not trying to step on toes in the sense of that, but I just want you to know that is why as you come down, if you come down in an altar call, we're not going to ask you to pray a prayer right now and twist you. We will sit with you for hours if that's what it takes for you to cry out to God to believe the gospel because we don't want it to be man-centered. We want it to be Christ-centered in all ways, shapes, and forms. Take a deep breath. That hits home for a lot of us, doesn't it? You are not saved by praying a prayer. You are saved by God's Spirit drawing you to Him and repenting and believing the gospel. I hope you see that today. He is our life. So what does this leave us with? What does this leave us with? Well, I want to encourage you with this last little slide here. Megan, if you want to go ahead and put up that last slide. You say, Darren, well, that's great. I, I am a believer. I know that truth. How do I share the gospel to myself? That sounds funny. But Friends, sometimes you're going to struggle in this life. You may truly be a believer. You've believed in Christ, but Satan wants to tell you otherwise. How do you reassure yourself that you know this truth? How do you do this? You preach the gospel to yourself. I want to give you at least five very practical tips as we close this morning. First, Jesus calls us to believe the gospel, and one way to do this is to continually preach it and see and own your sin. Examine yourself in the mirror of God's word. Your negative emotions, your negative attitudes, the response of, of others towards you, and guard yourself against sin's deceitfulness because sin will tell you you don't know Christ. There's nothing in you that knows Christ, and you will want to compare yourself to others. That's the Corinthian problem. 
That's what happened in 1 Corinthians. They were comparing themselves by themselves when Paul said to compare themselves to Christ and the gospel. Friends, you need to see and own your sin. This doesn't mean the devil made me do it. You ever heard someone say that before? Hey, how'd you sin? Oh, the devil made me do it. Really? Is this a Tom and Jerry cartoon in 1955? I don't think so. It doesn't work that way. You need to own your sin as it is. You need to be ready to do that. That's how you preach the gospel. So before the Lord, as you spend time with him, you need to own up and say, Lord, in my thought life, in my heart language, in my actions, in my behavior, whatever it is, Lord, show me. But own it. Don't dismiss it. Take it before the Lord. He can handle it. Secondly, how do you preach the gospel to yourself? You see the sin beneath the sin. Push the why question hard on yourself. Lord, I've done this again and again and again and again. And until you ask that question why, you're going to be insane. Isn't in the definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over again and expecting the same result? It's the same way as you preach the gospel to yourself. The meaning of your life and your value is Jesus is your life. You are not a functional Messiah. Christ is. You need to ask the why question. Lord, I'm back here again. Why is that? Maybe something triggered that sin that you keep fighting in your life. Maybe... Uh, maybe it's turning off the TV. Maybe it's, uh, I don't know what that is for you, but you pray, Lord, I have this sin in my life. You know it. Give me the resources to fight it. First in your word, then through your church, and of course, above all, through your Holy Spirit, and he will. Third, you need to expose the idols of your heart. Idols always disappoint, don't they? Have you ever known that before? Uh, I had my great friend, Drew Matthews, who uh, is serving overseas right now. He's a, a two-time All-American basketball player at Jewel, and I remember this very, very vividly, and I may have shared this before, but uh, at our graduation almost 10 or 12 years ago from Jewel, he went up on the platform. He was asked to give the commencement speech. He was voted by all his peers in all the school. He had all these great medallions. All-American basketball player, 4.0 student, student leader. I mean, he's like all-American, like Captain America man at Jewel, if you ever met him. And he's taller than all of us. Dale, he was about your size and, and muscles that came out to uh, mountain men status. And I remember he got up there, Drew did, and he went to the platform. And he went up there, and he literally, and this is a highfalutin school. You know, Jewel, it's all about pride and, and all that good stuff. He went up there, and he took every one of those chains. And man, he, was, he, he was, had more chains and gold on him than a rapper does, I think, or something like that. And he took it, and he threw it off, threw it off, and threw it off, and threw it off. And he looked at all of us, most of that audience not being Christian, he said, every single one of these have been an idol in my life every four years that I've been here. It's all rubbish, unless you know Jesus Christ. And it stuck out. If you want to see the video, it's out. I can get you a copy. It's really dramatic, more than I can give it. But friends, he had exposed the idols of his heart, basketball success, 4.0, government leadership, resident assistant, all those things. And he knew that only Christ was enough for him. By going after idols, you are saying, Jesus is enough. I need fill in the blank in order to be happy. Preach the gospel to yourself. Christ is enough. Fourthly, you need to view repentance as a gift. Pray for the gift of repentance. Don't try to stop sinning. Have you ever tried to do that before? Oh, man, Lord, I'm back there again. Oh, I'm back there again. Don't try and stop sinning. Pray, Lord, by your spirit, help me to repent. Friends, if you have repented one time to believe the gospel, it doesn't start, stop there. There is a life of repentance that goes on and on and on if you are in Christ. And that's a good thing. If you are sorrowful over your sin, that should be a great thing for you. It's evidence that you know Christ. You may change for a season by your own willpower, but eventually you'll become resentful or fall back into worshiping false idols. You've been there, done that? How many of y'all are still doing your New Year's resolutions? Be honest. New Year's resolutions? 
Two and a half hands just went up, I think. It's very true. We push and we push and we push and we push, but unless God is the director of all things, as we share the gospel with ourselves before him, it will be for naught. And finally, you need to see Jesus as your only Savior. You say, Darren, I've done that. Great. But you need to remember that Jesus lived for you. Think about and give specific ways he's lived obediently where you have failed. You need to remember that Jesus died for you, that on that cross he took every one of your sins, past, present, and future, every failure you bring to him, every strength you bring to him in pride, he's taken on the cross. Thank God that your sin has been punished once for all for Jesus. Gilbert, thank you for the power of the cross this morning. I hadn't heard that song in a long time. Probably since the last time we sang it here. Thank you for reminding us that he took the blame, he bore the wrath, so that we could be children of God in his presence. And remember also that Jesus lives in you. Thank God that he did not leave us as we are. Amen? He's given you his Holy Spirit. Not the red-headed stepchild of the Baptist faith, but the divine Holy Spirit that is the third person of the Trinity. Ask him to live in your heart and grow you to know more like Christ. And as you do, you will embrace this message that Jesus took his ministry and staked it on. Friends, as I close, I just want to encourage you this morning. If you are struggling in your sin this morning, there's never a sin that has been big enough that God can't take. You're struggling with accepting forgiveness from God. There's no one that God has forgiven that can never not receive that forgiveness. You need to allow that to happen. Friends, embrace the gospel as your only motivation for living. Jesus did. He made it the whole purpose of his life. We are not saved by what prayer we pray. We are saved by grace alone, in Christ alone, by faith alone, for his glory alone, drawn by his spirit alone. Let's pray as we go before our Lord this morning.